This is The Rooted Podcast, a conversation about the Christian worldview and its implications for every part of life. The Rooted Podcast is hosted by Steve Royce and Brady Johnson. Together, they have over two decades of experience in the business and tech industries and share a desire to help others filter all of life through the Christian faith. Hi, and thanks for listening to The Rooted Podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Brady. And on this episode, we're going to be taking a deeper look at uh, basically Genesis 1 in the context. Steve did uh, three fruit snacks on this uh, over the last, by the time you're listening to this, about maybe two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are episodes 101, 103, and 105. So if you haven't listened to those, uh, go and give those another listen. Uh, but Steve, if you want to give us a, a quick recap. Yeah. So a lot of what comes out of these episodes is based on a couple books, which I reference in the podcast, I believe. Uh, one would be The Lost World of Genesis 1 by uh, John Walton. And the other one, which is going to be factoring into a future set of Fruit Snacks episodes, called Scripture and Cosmology by Kyle Greenwood. And both of them have to do basically with taking a look at interpreting Genesis and really just Old Testament in or through the lens or the frame of the original audience and hearer. And part of what that means is that we have to, in order to recover that frame, we have to also take into account the other cultures around the ancient Israelites, which would include Egyptians, Akkadians, Babylonians, Assyrians, the Ugaritic culture that Abraham came out of, and so on and so forth. And these are these are important uh, details because it is, in a lot of cases, especially with regard to Genesis, It is these cultures, creation myths that Genesis is in some cases directly refuting or or clarifying. And so if we don't know, if we don't know the culture, if we don't know the stories of the day, if we don't know how the people in this time and, uh, and place thought, then we are going to miss some of the obvious connections that they would have made. And we're also going to have a a hard time. I think we're going to struggle to really arrive at the intended purpose of the text from the author's perspective, because if you've ever taken any Bible study methods courses or, or read anything about it or exegesis or the process of reading out of the text what the original author intended for the original audience, as opposed to eisegesis, which is reading into the text what we think or feel about what it means today, well, one of those is a correct approach and one of them is not. And and the reason that it's not is that my modern frame and perspective is often going to miss some of the cultural connections and some of the assumptions and even certain words and phrases are going to have just a, a very different cultural 
meaning compared to how we would think about it. And I shared, I can't remember if it was on the podcast. Did I use the football analogies on the fruit snacks, Brady? Do you remember? Football now. You have to remind me. The football teams. I know that I I used this with uh with the youth at one point. But so imagine that um imagine that two thousand years ago you have a Roman Christian who somehow through a time machine gets a hold of one of our newspapers from, you know, the the early two thousands and the headline on the newspaper just reads uh, lions destroy the saints. Mm. What are they thinking? Right. right? Com- compared to what we're thinking, because our cultural context is very different from theirs. They're thinking about persecution under Domitian or Nero and Christians being thrown into the Colosseum and eaten alive by lions mm-hmm. and wild bears and things like this. <laughs> we're thinking about football. Right. And, that's a, I mean, that's just a vastly different, but it's a perfect example where the same words can have a vastly different meaning because of all the assumed cultural knowledge that just gets imported with those ideas. And so because the Bible was written uh, for us, but not to us, it's our job to get back to the original uh, audience. We need to do the legwork. It's not the Bible's responsibility to to do that interpretation, it's ours. That's part of Bible study. And so uh, the, the the point of this, uh, this series of episodes was to, I think, shed some new and maybe different light on what that context would actually have looked like for the original hearers and, and readers of, of Genesis, because culturally there's just all sorts of telegraphing that's going on there that we just miss unless we've been trained to see it. And so part of what I wanted to do is to to help uh, us all kind of get in the mindset of an ancient Israelite so that we can start to see some of those things. And and as I said, in a couple of weeks, I'm doing another series on Hebrew cosmology that's going to also um, be right in, right in line with this same this same idea because I just think it's I think it's fascinating stuff and I think it dramatically changes or has the potential to change how we how we do Bible study and how we think about the text as we're reading through uh, the Old Testament in particular. Yeah, and I think you know going through this, it's one of those things. It's a nice reminder to think about the historical context and, and put yourself in the mindset of you know, whether it's the time period or, you know, frame it around maybe a centerpiece of the person or whatever it might be to really better understand the scripture that you're reading. Um, and I think, you know, having a little bit of a prelude discussion about this, you know, help me even think a little bit more about that. Um, what are some ways when you're reading through scripture to, I guess, pull out specifics, so that you can know what to look for, what historical context you're trying to find yeah, uh, to help improve your Bible study efforts. Yeah, I was just going to say, this is really a Bible study question mm-hmm. because um, there's there's a lot. And what's really, I mean, there's obviously really great resources that you can get a hold of that, that uh, do cost money because the best resources, part of the reason that they cost money is because they are current. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really excellent free resources out there and they're free because you know they've entered public domain which means that they're outdated and so if it's like archaeology for instance that archaeology is going to be missing all the major discoveries from the last 
75 years, <laughs> yeah. which a lot has happened. Like the whole landscape of biblical archaeology is different now, especially post Dead Sea Scrolls in the 1940s and 50s. That that was a bombshell. And so if the resources don't aren't up to date enough to include things like that that are relevant to the modern discussion, then you're going to just be behind the curve. Um, but that said, there's a lot that you can do just by doing searches on the internet and finding things. So let me give you an example. If uh, another example of why cultural context matters is, and I'm, I'm used this in a Bible study uh, just a couple of weeks ago in Revelation three, you've got the church to the church of Laodicea, the the lukewarm passage, right? And in uh, Revelation three, I think it starts in fourteen and goes through like twenty one or twenty two. And you've got that lukewarm church where Jesus says, I wish you were hot or cold, but you're neither hot or cold. You're lukewarm. So it makes me sick. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. If you were to ask people, what does that mean? What does it mean to be lukewarm? And what does Jesus mean by hot and cold? The traditional off the cuff, what does it mean to you? Conga line, you know, home (laughs) Bible study interpretation is, well, hot is good. Cold is bad. And lukewarm is gross, but, but it's really hard for people to articulate why, if hot is good, if hot is, oh man, I, I, I just hate the term that the, if hot is on fire for Jesus, whatever that means, then cold would be the opposite of that, which means you're not even a believer. So why is, remind me why lukewarm is worse than cold, right? I mean, and I've had people or heard people say, well, because if you're cold, then at least, at least, uh, God knows where you stand. As if God doesn't always know where you stand, right? Because he knows your heart. And so as you start to question and sort of pull on that thread, the whole sweater unravels and you just start to realize really quickly that we're just kind of grasping at straws here and we're just kind of making stuff up based on what we think is plausible, but we're not basing it on anything. And so if you take context, not just cultural context, but geographical context and historical context, and you apply it to the passage, the whole thing just unlocks it it interprets itself there were hot springs and cold springs that ran from hierapolis and Colossae into laodicea they were roman aqueduct projects and they it was like where we are in arizona we don't have our own water we have to have our water piped in from somewhere else where they have water because you can't support the million plus you know multi-million people uh infrastructure here on desert groundwater that's just it's not going to happen so you have to port it in from somewhere or pipe it in from somewhere and the problem they had was they were these were overland aqueducts so by the time the cold and the hot water which were used for different purposes in the ancient world one was medicinal one was used for refreshing and 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 uh that kind of thing by the time both of them got there, they were tepid. They were lukewarm. So if hot, hot water is what you're using for medicine, except by the time you have it, it's not hot, it's not good for medicine. And if cold water is what you're using to drink for refreshment, except it's now room temperature, you know, yuck, then it's not going to refresh either. And so Jesus is using that, which is part of their geography, which is part of their city. They just knew this. And there's no possible way that a resident of Laodicea would have heard references to hot, cold, and lukewarm without immediately drawing this conclusion. This is like this is like the Bengals 
and the Seahawks and the Patriots in our culture. We just know what that is. There's no way you say those words together in a sentence and people don't get it, right? And so with with Laodicea, Jesus is making the point that the church has at least two jobs, right? To to save and to heal, to be medicinal, i.e. evangelism, and also to be a refreshing and an encouraging source within the church, within the body. And Jesus is saying, man, I would love if you at least had done one of those jobs. But the fact is, as a church, you're failing hard because you're not doing either. And because you're not doing any of the jobs of the church, you make me sick. I'm going to spit you out and I'm going to I'm going to give your responsibility to someone else who's going to do at least one of the jobs. Right. And that makes more sense in context because hot and cold are both seen as equally uh, better options than lukewarm. Well, their geography is the key to understanding why that's the case. And you know, there's a lot more there. There's so much more that Jesus says to them in the passage about being naked, uh, being blind, um, being poor, that have everything to do with their economy and why they were rich and their reputation as a city. There's just tons of context there. You can find a lot of that just by searching on the internet. If you if you know that you're studying about Laodicea, just run a search for Laodicea ancient Greece and, and, you know, and, and see what pops up and just start reading articles. So you don't even have to, uh, I mean, you're going to, you might get stuff like Wikipedia, which is hit and miss. I mean, there's some stuff on there that, that tends to be accurate, but then there's other stuff that's just like, man, they let anybody in here and and they do. (laughs) And that's the point, right? So there is a reason to go with vetted scholarly resources that cost money. But if you're just getting started, you, you can do a lot of legwork with free resources and searches, you just have to read a lot of them and sort of cross-check them so that you're not just putting all your eggs in one basket and saying, well, I found this one webpage that says this. If you read enough of them, you're going to start to get this composite picture of what's really going on there. And so as a Bible study method, we don't often think about the fact that we we need to go we need to go beyond the text in order to understand the text. Because when we read about places and people and cultures and other people groups that God's people encounter, if we don't know anything about them, like the Philistines, for instance, or uh, when the Ark of the Covenant is taken by the Philistines and it's put in the temple of Dagon, do we know who Dagon is? Do we know what he was about or why he was worshipped by the Philistines? All of that factors into that passage and what is happening to him when he falls down and all and so on and so forth. And the things that it says about what the priests do after is really important cultural stuff. And if we don't get that, we just gloss over it and sort of skip it because we don't understand what it means. But you don't have to do that. So my, my point is just to say that uh, part of Bible study is actually doing research and and learning about the Babylonians, about the Egyptians, about the Akkadians and the Assyrians, and learning about their gods and their pantheons and their cultural practices, learning about the Canaanites, learning about the Baal cycle, learning about uh, the Egyptian gods, because the Egyptian gods were the direct, the direct focus of Yahweh's attacks in each and every one of the plagues that he unleashed upon. These weren't random. He didn't throw a dart at a big board or pull up in a bingo card and be like, I guess it landed on locusts, so here we go, right? Like (laughs) there was purpose behind every one of them. And and for the cultures, that, that messaging was being telegraphed in a way that just absolutely would not have been missed by those people. 
So it's our job to get back to that so that when we read those passages, it isn't lost on us either. And now you're doing Bible study. Now you're now you're understanding in a more full sense. And that's where when you get to Genesis 1, um, that just material origins, like where all the stuff in the universe came from, is a question that anyone in the ancient world from any culture, not just the Hebrews, would have kind of not known what to do with. Like they would have shrugged or rolled their eyes or whatever because, well, yeah, of course, of course, God created all the stuff, but that's not the that's not the most important question on their minds. Their most important question on their minds is creating order and out of chaos, creating function and purpose out of void and emptiness. That is the role that the God or gods in the different cultures played in creation. And it's the same role that Yahweh plays in creation, except the writer is saying, except this is how it really went down, you guys, compared to these other these other uh, creation myths. And so material origins is not the focus of Genesis 1. At least that's my contention, and, and John Walton and others would make the same contention that uh, the ancients thought in terms of function, uh, of purpose, of what is the end goal of this thing? What does it do? What is it for? And if you could have all this stuff, but if it isn't doing anything, if it's just uh, purposeless, functionless, then it is effectively non-existent. A thing only exists in the ancient mind when it has a purpose and a function and it is doing its intended purpose and function. And so that is why in Genesis 1, God not only uh, creates and establishes functions for these things that have been created, but then he also uh, installs functionaries or delegates responsibility for, for keeping track of those functions to things like the heavenly bodies, to things like mankind, and, and so on and so forth. And so it's just a completely different cultural focus than what we're used to. But when you read it that way, it answers a lot of questions and it helps us see why the account is ordered in the way that it is and why certain language is used and and also why why Genesis picks up with material stuff already existing. I think we kind of gloss over that because for a long time, and I did myself, many people just associate let there be light with the Big Bang. Well, in ancient thinking, that would not have been the case. They wouldn't have thought that way. Because you see in verse two that that God is his spirit is hovering over the surface of the waters, the deep, the abyss, which again in a couple of weeks we'll get into with Hebrew cosmology. What was the abyss and what is that? It was something. It was stuff. And in ancient thinking, it already existed when the act of creation began. Not because because creation isn't about making all the stuff. Creation is about doing something with that stuff. So the abyss is there, but it's empty. It's a place of death, and and it's just devoid of any purpose whatsoever. And so the, God comes along, and He does something with it. And that's what they cared about. That's their mindset. That's their frame of reference. And so that's that's where we need to get to if we're really going to properly understand a passage like like Genesis one. Yeah, no, that's really good. And and one of the things that you talked about uh, in the fruit snacks, I think bears repeating is, you know, when people ask the question is, you know, comparing uh, 
what the Bible has to say against maybe what something science says yeah. and whether or not they're at odds with each other. Yeah. And, and that's where too, like, yeah, like we were talking about, I think a lot of Christians can get caught up and have gotten caught up on trying to defend the Bible. And, and that's not a bad intention. I, I don't, I'm not faulting anyone for that. I, I'm just saying that that has been, I think a intention for a lot of people to say, I have to either, if there's any tension whatsoever between what I think the Bible is saying and what I think science is saying or current science is saying is to either, I have to change my interpretation of the Bible to match the science, or I have to conclude that, well, the science just must not be settled. And even though it seems like there's a tension here, I just have to basically hold this cognitive dissonance and just say, even though it seems like there's a tension, there really isn't one because eventually science will be proven wrong, but you don't know when, and you don't know why. And so you're just, you're sort of operating, you're, um, you're refusing to let these two things interact with each other. And I don't think we need to do that as Christians because yeah, as I said, in the fruit snacks episodes, I really think if this is, if Genesis one is about functions, not material origins, but functional origins, which is how all ancient cultures would have thought, then it is a mistake to impose our modern uh, perspective and sensibilities on the text and say, well, we think in terms because of science, because post enlightenment, we think in terms of material origins and understanding how something works and why it works that way. That's the focus of science. Like, what is this thing? How does it work and why? But if things are function oriented in Genesis, then the narrative there is not interested in answering primarily any of those questions. The ancients would have assumed material origins, but that wasn't the focus. The focus of Genesis 1 would rather be the the who and the why. So who did this? Who is ultimately responsible for bringing order out of chaos, for, mm-hmm. for lifting this purposeless, formless thing and doing something with it? And only only he could have done it, by the way. He's the ultimate, he's the creator, he's the one who brings order and and created us and gave us purpose. But also the why of like, for what end did he do this? What's the purpose behind why he did things this way? And, and science is really more about the what and the how of what stuff is out there and what was the exact ratio of hydrogen to helium molecules within, you know, so many nanoseconds after the Big Bang and how fast did the universe expand and how hot was it and how long did it take to cool and at what point did star clusters start to form just all these other questions and again important questions but they're completely different questions than what genesis is after and so if that's the case then we can relax as christians and and be content to say i can follow the science wherever i think the science is leading as long as god is ultimately the one that's responsible if if whatever happened, whenever it happened, however long ago it was, and however it happened, if God did it, and by the way, only God could have done it, and that's my perspective on whatever the science is saying, even though there's plenty of scientists out there who wouldn't interpret it that way, then you're never at odds with Genesis 1 because Genesis is about who and why, and the, the what and the how are just sort of left 
they're just left out and they're just kind of considered not important. And so the, the young earth, the old earth, I, I used to care more about that discussion and I used to have stronger opinions. And lately I, because of this, I've just sort of come to a place where I, it's just not an interesting discussion to me because it, if this is what Genesis is actually about, then that discussion is frankly, uh, it's an, it's a non-biblical discussion. It really has very little to do with the text of the Bible and with the message and the intention of the Bible. And so it just, it became overnight, almost just suddenly very unimportant. Yeah. And you know, when we're talking about this context, it, it makes me excited to jump into the, the cosmological conversation and, and really dig in a little bit more from the context of that position. Yeah. I think um, you're going to dig it, dude. There's a lot of just neat stuff there. Yeah. You gave me a bit of a sneak peek, which, uh, we both kind of nerded out for a bit, which is <laughs> fun and exciting. And it, and it really does put things in a, a, again, a very different perspective. And, you know, it's one of those things that you tend to forget when you're, you know, just opening up your Bible and pulling up a specific, you know, set of passages or, you know, just reading quickly through a chapter. Yeah. You yeah. There's context. There's a difference and I'm not the first one to say this. I just don't know who did. And so I can't quote them, but <laughs> this is not my, this is not my thought, but there is a vast difference between Bible reading and Bible study. Mm-hmm. And what I think happens sometimes is we read which is good we should be reading because it helps us get the text into our the forefront of our minds it's top of mind the holy spirit can use it throughout the day to remind us of things all good stuff but let's not make the mistake of calling that bible study bible study is inherently uh, a longer and a little more arduous process it's it involves research it involves reading it involves steeping your brain in ancient cultures and literature and thought processes that are so foreign to how you have been raised to process the world that they seem completely unintuitive at times and just frankly just super weird at other times but to be able to hold those thoughts in your head while you're reading the next time you go to read now things are going to just leap off the page at you Mm -hmm. because you now have a paradigm because of your study that now it's like big neon flashing signs on the road. You can't miss it because now you're, you're, you're learning to think like an Israelite. And really when you're reading the old Testament, anyway, if you're not thinking like an Israelite, you're missing not all, but you're missing definitely some, and sometimes even most of what's there And, um, that's part of what this conversation in particular is about is an encouragement to just say, don't stop reading your Bible, but also it try, try some study, try to, try to do some searching and find articles about the the people and the places and the geography and the history and the culture and the gods and goddesses of these other cultures and the worship practices and how they were different and what they cared about and what they valued and what they disliked and what were their cultural faux pas and and so on and so forth. And then you're really going to start to have, it's just going to unlock a lot of, a lot of the, the biblical text for you. And, um, and that's a good day because when you can start to understand the original intended point, because there only was one original intended point, now your applications are going to be far more on point. 
you're going to get a much more practical and, and scripturally based application when you apply. Because I'm not saying that application goes out the window. Let's just make let's make correct applications based on biblically sound interpretations and not, you know, cliches or uh, bumper stickers. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Great. Well, I hope you guys uh, were able to take uh, some good stuff away from this and hopefully you are encouraged and that your Bible study efforts uh, can be more fruitful moving forward. Yeah, I would recommend if you are interested in just some free resources that have some study tools built into them, Blue Letter Bible, I think it's .org, blueletterbible.org is, let me look it up here because I have it. Yes, blueletterbible.org is a online Bible that you can select uh, lots of different versions. And then when you look up a passage, you're going to have next to each verse a blue and white button, if it looks like my screen, that says tools. And those tools are going to give you everything from commentaries to uh, look at the original language so that and why that matters. So you can do study in original languages without speaking or reading or being able to write any of the original biblical languages, which is super, super cool. So what that means is, for instance, you can grab a uh, a word, a verb, for instance, in a uh, verse that you're studying, and you can uh, click on it and you can find out that that, that verb happens to be a... Uh, past tense singular verb. Now, sometimes who cares? But sometimes if you're reading a passage and there's multiple people being referenced and part of the question is, is this verb, is this referring to the whole group or or is this only referring to one person? Well, it's a singular. Okay, so that tells me that, that answers that. It helps you orient your thinking properly toward if there's any room for any sort of vagueness in a, in a passage or if it's past tense, okay, so from the writer's perspective, this is a thing that has already happened. So um, that can be important at times. And so just having these tools, and it's completely free. Uh, Step Bible is also another, uh, another one that you can use. Um, let me get the reference here. StepBible.org is another tool and it has some very similar uh, similar functionality, but it has a very different layout and you can find free uh, guides and, and, and tutorials on how to use these different ones. But as, a, as online tools that are completely free that have a lot of horsepower for getting beyond just reading, uh, these are good places to start. And then from there, you can just do some internet searching. If you find a passage or that references uh, a ancient city or an ancient uh, foreign deity from a different country or um, geography and just understanding, man, when you're going through the conquests in Joshua, it's really helpful to actually get a little pinboard or a little map of that area at that time with those place names and kind of trace where were they going and why were they going there? Because unless you understand the purpose behind why God was having them go to these places and skip other places and only interact with these people groups and so on and so forth, um, it can be very confusing. And, you, and then it just turns into alphabet soup. And you, I mean, our brains, you just tend to skip over it. And so 
there's um there's a lot there if you're willing to put in the time and just kind of slow down and so these are great ways to get started so uh, if you would like to know more about this maybe that's something we could do in the future drop us a line let us know if you're interested in that and maybe we'll take some time to to go through uh, how to study using some of these things and just really practical ways that you can do this for free without having to spend any money because uh, I know we've already done an episode where we recommended way back um, a lot of different resources that are still still recommended. They're excellent if you if you want to um, put a little money into them. But yeah, these are these are also great. So uh, wherever you can, whatever effort you can put in is good. It's better than nothing. However much money you can dedicate to your Bible study is also good, better than nothing. But again, it's just whatever you have, whatever time you have, whatever resources you have. If you dedicate them to this, I know God's going to bless it and you're going to get something out of it. So we just uh, pray that you will use this as a way to hopefully get you get you started and get you interested in learning more and, and studying more. And if everyone's studying their Bible more, that's a good day. So thanks for listening, everyone. We can't wait to see you on the next episode of The Rooted Podcast. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the Rooted Podcast, a creation of Rooted Productions and an affiliate of the Oasis Church in Gilbert, Arizona. For more information about the podcast or to submit a question or comment, please visit us at rooted.productions. Follow us on Instagram at rooted.productions or email podcast at rooted.productions. That's Rooted.Productions. We hope you'll join us next time.